Hello, 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 and welcome into ATLK. We're here September 23rd, Thursday. I'm recording a little bit here before Thursday Night Football. A little bit later here in the week, you know. A little bit of a busy, little hectic week, you know, getting some stuff done here at UGA. But, you know, all things considered, you know, we're doing good. You know, I'm hoping that the plays are going up here, and I hope that everyone is, you know, talking to their friends and sharing with relatives and all that. It means a lot. All the support means so much. And, you know, it's been really good to see the love and support, you know, all over my social medias and stuff. I'm seeing it mainly with Backfield Boys. That podcast is going great. You know, we're getting better and better every week. And same same thing I hope to do for this podcast. Get better and better every week. You know, feel more natural here talking about my favorite sports teams here and the old Peach State. And I'll start it off. I'll go with UGA to, you know, start off. You know, I normally have done this, you know, the past couple of weeks because UGA has been the fun story. It's been a good time to see them play well and I've enjoyed talking about UGA and you know it's another week and not a whole ton to dive into on UGA's game you know they played South Carolina and they handled handled them very quite easily 40 to 13 and they proved themselves as the you know number two undisputed number two team taking on an SEC team finally and went and took care of business. My biggest takeaway from this game, Georgia's front seven is by far the best front seven I have seen in college football so far. No one, frankly, comes close. I mean, you always have Alabama who has a good front there, but they just do not compare to what Jordan Davis is doing in the middle there. He's 350, running faster than 90% of the people that I know. Like, it's... He's a ridiculous human being at his size. You know, the outside, they all just cause havoc on the tackles. You know, it's South Carolina couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything running the ball, and so they just passed the ball the entire game. And even then, the quarterback had to throw it in two seconds. And the only big plays they got were just chunk plays that they basically they threw it up there for the receivers to make plays. And, you know, give credit to the receivers, they did do that. I mean, the safety or safeties and cornerbacks for Georgia weren't good by any means. They're probably the weak spot of this team if there was a weak spot. But, you know, it's a growing experience. And, I mean, they're playing man. I don't know why late in the game there. They should have probably been playing some zone. But, I don't know. It is what it is. But, I mean, the, like I said, the front seven has NFL guys written all over them. You know, it's it's crazy to see. It's crazy to see it in action. You know, they're... They're just so aggressively, so far, they've been so aggressively better than every offensive line they've played in these three weeks, you know. It's been it's been fantastic to see, and I mean, they play Vanderbilt this week. I cannot imagine how that game will go. I really, like, for Vanderbilt, so Vanderbilt last year, they canceled on Georgia, Georgia Senior Day, nonetheless. They canceled on Georgia Senior Day. Some They were saying it was COVID-related. A lot of people are saying that they basically just ducked UGA because they knew it was going to be a beating. So Vanderbilt comes and they are going to be 34 and a half point underdogs. That sounds about right. That sounds like a murder. I <laughs> I would imagine it could be close or better to the UAB score, which was 56 to 7. I think it could easily be better than that. 
So I Jermaine Burton will probably run all over the field. You know, Brock Bowers will be sitting in the middle of the field, probably catch a pass and run forty yards for a touchdown. It'll it'll be it'll be ugly. It could easily be a blowout by the first end of the first quarter. You know. The big news I guess that you could take away from this game was uh, the recruiting, you know, aspect of it. Arch Manning came into Athens and saw the night game because it was a night game there. Arch Manning was in attendance with his family and. I don't think he could have put on a like better show than what they did. You know, they they really did display a lot of the a lot of the best aspects of Georgia's offense passing wise. You know, they Adoni Mitchell caught a bomb. JT Daniels looked really good. You know, throw, like I said, throwing to Jermaine and Mitchell and Bowers. You know, there was a weird sequence in this game where Stetson Bennett came into the game immediately through an interception. I couldn't tell you why. I, I don't know why he came into the game. But let's let's hope that he never comes in the game. I feel like it was a reason. I feel like Kirby got a little little cocky there with Stetson Bennett because we were up 14-0 or 14-3 or something. He just threw in Stetson. It, it was awful. I don't know why he was there. It, he, should, he should probably hang it up. <laughs> he should probably hang it up by now. But, you know, it is what it is, so... Like I said, they travel. UGA travels on to Vandy this week. And one thing I'd say to look for is, you know, in the second half, they've they've been a big throwing team, which has not come as a big surprise. But you know, look for the running game in the second half because the running game hasn't been like very good. It hasn't been to UGA standard. James Cook had a good touchdown here, but you know, it hasn't. And I, I trust me, I love th- throwing the football and you know showing that you can use your weapons that you always get every year in five stars. But you know, I'd like to see the run game. I'd like to see balance. You know, feels like there's a lot of pressure on JT, and although that's fine and he's been handling it like a pro, but I'd like to see them get Zamir and um, James Cook. You know, running the ball well, where they kind of lean on the big guys up front, especially in the second half when they'll probably be up by a lot, kind of waste some clock. Take care of your business at Vanderbilt and get out of there. You know, I'd, I'd like to see that get done. Not a whole lot, not a whole lot of resistance from Vanderbilt. You know, I don't want, I don't want them to think they're anything at all. So, basically, go murder Vanderbilt and come back, live life, <laughs> have a good Saturday. You know, it'll be a noon game. You know, good times. So. Not a whole lot, let's look we'll countrywide here now, and not a whole lot of big games this week. Like, the Saturday game day game of the week is um, Oklahoma and West Virginia, that's the primetime game, and West Virginia is not ranked, and Oklahoma is not very good, so... That's uh that's some for some reason the ESPN game of the week. I don't know. I mean, the, the game of the week is going to be Wisconsin and Notre Dame and Fox has that game. So that's why they're not going to the ESPN's not going there, but that'll be the big game. You know. So Wisconsin and Notre Dame, both teams are very kind of fraudulent in their way in their own ways. Which Wisconsin lost to Penn State early on and Notre Dame struggled against teams they shouldn't struggle if they're going to be a top 10 team 
So that's that's kind of the that's games to look forward to this week. Um, we'll look, looking back at this past week, uh, Penn State beat Auburn in an awesome game there, where it kind of came down to the last last couple minutes there. Auburn couldn't get it done, so they fall to twenty five, I think. And Penn State, you know, moves on up in the rankings. Penn State's putting together a quite quite nice resume. You know, they um. They handled Wisconsin week one. I don't know who they played week two. It's probably some beat up school, but then they come and beat a good Auburn SEC team. You know that really, really sets them apart. If they can go and beat Iowa, I believe they go to Iowa. If they go and beat Iowa, I mean that's that might be your Big Ten playoff contender right there. If they don't lose to Ohio State, so that was a big game. Penn State was rocking. It was an awesome, awesome atmosphere. It was one of those games for post-COVID where you're like, man, how did we ever do this without fans, you know? It was really, really awesome to see you know that all play out. And the other game of the day was Alabama against Florida. So Alabama was handling Florida pretty easily, 21-3 to in the first half at one point. It was all Alabama. But then in the second half... Florida ran all over Alabama and climbed their way back into this game. You know, made it a two game, like a two point game here. And they missed a field goal and they ran an awful two point conversion to try and tie it. You know, if those plays don't happen, Florida might pull off that upset. You know, it's. I, I don't know if it says more about Alabama or more about Florida. Personally, I don't know. It gives me a little bit of pause on Florida. For this, for Georgia, you know, Florida might be a little bit more competitive than I thought, but I still think our front seven is better than Alabama, so I'm not hitting the panic button. But Florida's going to be probably the toughest team that we face here. Maybe Arkansas, you know, one of those two teams are going to be the tough teams that we have to beat in order to improve our playoff stock here. And so Florida's someone to watch, I guess, moving forward. I don't know. I don't. But again, Alabama, you know, they, they've handled their business against Miami, who are oh, Miami's bad. Miami's flat out bad. They got embarrassed by Michigan State this weekend. I mean, it was competitive, but it never felt like Michigan State was going to lose that. And then they beat up on Mercer. So Alabama, I don't. I don't know what to think about Alabama. I really don't. I don't know if they're gonna. I don't know if they're as, you know, in their own tier as I thought they were against Georgia. I'd still have them, you know, steadily ahead right now, but it's something to monitor. Where I don't know. It could be. It could go a certain way. It could go a certain way here in the, in Georgia's, you know, Georgia's direction in the SEC championship. But that's so far ahead. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but that was a it was a big game to see kind of where to take stock in both of these teams, and I feel like we learned a little bit more about Florida than we did Alabama. But I don't think it's anything to take like too much stock out of because Alabama did end up winning the game, you know they they did what they had to do, and Florida, Florida can't sustain a passing game with Emory Jones like they can't it's not feasible so so yeah that's probably the college football scene you know not a not a whole lot going on with you know a lot of teams we're starting to get into conference play finally you know like I said Georgia's 
you know, going into their second SEC game here. And Arkansas is playing Texas A&M. That'll be a big SEC matchup. Arkansas, if they win, which they have a good chance at, I don't think it's out of the question, Arkansas could really catapult themselves. And then they come into Athens at 12 o'clock. And they'll have maybe the biggest game that their program has seen in the past, like, decade, you know? it's It'll be really something to monitor for Arkansas. They have a former offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, as their head coach. He's building a culture there, building something. You know, he's been a great recruiter for them, and results are starting to show. Arkansas is not, you know, the joke of the SEC like they once were, at least SEC West, you know. They're finally somewhat competitive here, and they have a chance to prove themselves from a good team to a great team here by playing Texas A&M, you know. They could catapult themselves up and... You know, who knows? Who knows what they could do? So moving on, shifting gears, we'll go to the pros now. Talk about the old Atlanta Falcons. Who drop another disappointing game. Another, I wouldn't say it's a heartbreaker, but it's, uh, not, it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good whatsoever. Like, at all. Now, I'm not really the guy that likes to be like, moral victories, Let's we got a little victories here. No, not that guy. But they did improve from last week, you know. They played, the Eagles looked awful. They went and played Tampa Bay at Tampa Bay. And frankly, they were not supposed to be even close. And it didn't end up close. Like The, the end result box score will say that it was very, very not close. So, whatever. But Atlanta was down by three points in the third quarter of this game. They were down 28-25 to 25, midway through the third. Got a stop. They punted the ball away, or Tampa punted the ball away. And the Falcons had a shot there where they were down three, and they could have gone and taken the lead. Now, obviously, we don't, obviously that didn't happen because, you know, they ended up punting it away. It was a shanked punt, like 20 yards. Tampa Bay starts on Atlanta's four, or ta- yeah, Atlanta's 40, and they went and scored a touchdown in two plays, and that's all she wrote. So, you know, that's something. It's one of those where it the final score looks really bad, but you also have to remember you have to remember the context of it. Atlanta was down three points in the third quarter. That's pretty good against a team that's likely the best team in the league. Returning 22 starters from a Super Bowl winning team. With the greatest quarterback of all time. One of the greatest tight ends of all time. And three receivers who are all... Who have all been top 10 receivers at one point or not in their career. A defense that has a front that dominated the Chiefs and murdered Patrick Mahomes last year. Two linebackers that are all pro potential every year. The context matters greatly in this game because you see Matt Ryan throwing two picks, or three picks. Two out of the three were tipped from the line. That's that's on the lineman. One of them was a flat-out bad read. That was not great, but, you know, what what can you do? Quarterbacks throw interceptions. It's just, it happens. 
but 203 were tipped and simply put that was that, that was not great that was it, two pick sixes really went a long way in making the score look a lot worse than it is so i i think that there's a lot to take away from this game that or that's like really good you know i think Kyle Pitts looked a lot more comfortable he looked a lot more natural he made you know a couple good catches made a, one great catch and turned on the jets for like 20 yards that was awesome to see i think we'll see him a lot more starting to pop up pop out in the offense i think they're going to start utilizing him a lot more they realize that they have something special which i mean we all knew they did but you know it takes a little time to get going so Kyle Pitts looked pretty good. I think Calvin Ridley looked really solid. He looked better than last week. Um, if you would have given me the prop bet where, like, you know, who will be the best-looking offensive player for the Falcons through two weeks, Cordell Patterson would not have been on probably my top five list. Cordell, Pat- Cordell Patterson has been a game-changer and a savior for this offense to look competent. Now, the run game still has not looked good. Tampa Bay has an awesome run defense, so that was never going to look good. But Cordell Patterson, coming in at running back, has been a game changer. He has been everything you could ask for. He had a rushing touchdowns, rushing touchdown and a catching touchdown with an awesome one-handed catch he took for Matt Ryan. And, yeah, Patterson, Patterson's looked really explosive. He's been... You know, a real changer on this offense, and I think that he should be a player that, I don't know if he gets more touches, I think he's earned more touches, but, you know, I I think he'll become more prominent in the game plan than what was originally thought of. And one issue I still saw from the offense was short yardage. Third and one, fourth and one, fourth and two, third and two, you know, all those down in distance, they can't get a push at all all they cannot run the ball at all and like I said Tampa Bay's middle's unbelievable but there's got to be a point where you can get these little short yardage plays you know I don't there's just you have to convert on opportunities like you know fourth and like anything under fourth and five you have to be able to convert those when it really comes down to it and they're just not Atlanta's not doing that right now I think they're a little bit they're getting better I think they're getting a little too cute and get, they're focusing in on like one player on those conversions where they take a step back, look at the whole field, and really kind of they got to understand they can't just go to one read on a fourth down or a third down. You got to be able to look around, and I think part of that's the O line just isn't very good, so it's kind of making the rest of the offense panic. Like it's making Ryan panic and throw quicker than he wants to. It's speeding up his internal clock, but, you know, you gotta, I don't know, you gotta, you just gotta focus in more on those downs, I don't know, it just seems like they get there, and it's like the world's shaking around them, it's like earthquake, I don't know. And it really, it really sucks to see that, because Atlanta, when they went to the Super Bowl, was such a good team in those situations, you know, they would get, they would get into these, like, little aggressive spots where they had to, you know, get little yards and they could make a push and do what they can to get a first down. And right now they just don't look capable of that. And I'm, I'm the biggest Matt Ryan supporter on earth. I feel like this has kind of been known from people that do know me. I own every 
version of the jersey. Every jersey he's ever worn, I own. Like, every styling of it. And so, but I can't, I, I can't run away from the fact that he didn't look perfect. He looked good up until those two pick sixes he did. You know, one of those was, he had a couple plays where he tried to force a couple reads. Like how his time out, he speeds up his clock. <clears throat> Basically, he, he did that a couple times and went to the read that was very easy to for Tampa to swat away or something. So and and there was one plat uh, one pass that's kind of going around. Where basically it was a deep throw and he tries to make it to Calvin Ridley and he severely underthrows it and I mean it's been known he doesn't have great arm strength he never has had super awesome arm strength but it it was visibly a really really bad pass and I mean it was all it was a hard pass to make against the coverage. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. It was not a great play to see live, and it's something where it's starting to get to the point where you can't really defend it. You just kind of have to say, just, just let the offensive line block for him, and then let's see what we got. So I think that's still a big, I think the offensive line being bad is still a big part of it. Caleb McGarry should be locked up. He should be, you know, sent to Guantanamo Bay for the war crimes he's committing right now on that offensive line. He is awful. Caleb McGarry has been an awful put player. Atlanta traded back into the first round of that draft. Thomas Dimitrov did to get Caleb McGarry, and he's been horrid. He looks like a rookie again. He's in his third year. He's supposed to look good by now, and he's not, so... I don't know. I don't know what about... I don't know what he could do to look better. He really just ugh, makes me it makes me disgusted thinking about it. It really does. So, so I think the team as a whole, like I said, looks better. They played a lot better than last week. Um, it it's one of those where you have to kind of ride with it because it is a first year head coach and a first year GM trying to do what they can with a roster that isn't good. You have to remember the roster is not very good at all. They are not. Like, they they just... They, they've made all these proclamations about getting, being competitive and making the playoffs and all that, but, I mean, that's you have to say that in order to convince the fans that you're going to try and do something. You're going to try and win, you know? You can't come out and say you're going to rebuild, you know? And, I mean, I still think they can turn this around. You know, they have very winnable games coming up. We'll get into the preview here for the next one here soon. But, you know, it's very possible they could turn this around and still be competitive. Like I said, I still think it's a good football team. I don't know if they're better than a lot of these teams ahead of them. But I think they can still win games here. So, speaking of the next game, Atlanta, a couple little transactional moves. They released the punter, Cameron. Nice check. He came from Georgia. Sadly, couldn't really put together consistent punts. That he he ultimately, I think, kind of killed the team. Like the the Falcons hurt themselves a lot, but Cameron was the you know the nail in the coffin. He was he was pretty horrible. It's like straight up he was. So they released him. And they went ahead and signed two-time Pro Bowler Dustin Colquitt. He last played for the Chiefs. He was the Chiefs punter for years upon years. And so he comes in as a veteran. 
Hopefully he holds down that spot. We'll see this upcoming week. And Atlanta goes to New York to face the Giants. So the Giants just lost on Thursday Night Football in a heartbreaking fashion. They blew that game. Had a billion penalties that blew that game. So they had a brutal little streak of it. And so the Falcons come into this game as three-point underdogs. And, you know, honestly, this can make or break the season for both teams. This is... Both teams probably look at this and they're probably like, oh, we're playing the Giants. The Giants aren't good. We can win this. Or the Giants are looking at the Falcons like, oh, look at the Falcons. They're not good. We can win them. Or we didn't win against them, you know? It's one of those where either team probably is talking bad about the other. And, I mean... Frankly, Atlanta should win this game. I think they have more talent on both sides of the ball. I don't. I think that's pretty clear. I think this is a good chance for Arthur Smith to finally show that he can run an offense like how he did in Tennessee. And I mean, the Giants are pretty decent on defense, but they're no world enders, you know? And the defense, I mean... Daniel Jones loves to fumble the ball. Like he he has like thirty fumbles in his like three years in the league. You know it's been not great for him. So this is a game where the Giants seem like a team that they could easily go in and look like the best team in football against the Falcons, but the Falcons have a lot of like counters that they can put in front of the Giants to make them look bad. So. I I expect uh, the thing is I feel like I picked these games kind of and I I mean I picked last week's game and it I knew that they were gonna lose that game against the Buccaneers but this game I do truly feel like they can win this one. This seems like a winnable game and this will be a big one on the road because they have to go to New York so that's no easy task but I don't know I don't know it's hard to say I think Atlanta will win this game. I really do. I think Matt Ryan will look much better than he has. You know, I think Calvin Ridley. I think they've kind of figured out what they can do. I think they've done a lot of testing out their players. I really do, you know. Like, I mean, you you have to take to account that they haven't they didn't play in the preseason. Now, that's looking like a mistake. I defended it and I I kind of will defend it still cuz I mean, no one got hurt. No one is majorly hurt besides Russell Gage and AJ Terrell who suffered Injuries in this past game. But no one got majorly hurt in the preseason. That's huge for them. And I mean, obviously you need those in-game reps now that we see how the team is playing. But I think they are getting those now and they should be kind of clicking. And I think they're kind of figuring out chemistry and how to use players. And I think personnel is being understood by Arthur Smith. So I really, I think this could be a game where Atlanta figures it out and turns it around. Because, I mean, this stretch is they play bad teams, straight up they do. They play Washington, or they play the Giants here. Then I think they play the Jets in London, and then they play Washington here in Atlanta. You know, there's a couple games here that are really winnable for Atlanta. They should, they should win those games, and if they can, then you know, build some momentum and prove that you're pretty decent. You know. So, yeah, I'd say look for the Falcons to win this game. If if they lose this game, I I don't know. I'll have no words. I I they left me with no words after week 1, 
besides that they're really bad. And they lose to the Giants. The Giants, I thought the Eagles were bad. I thought I was obviously wrong about the Eagles. That they're much better than what I thought they were. But the Giants, now they've played two games, and I know that what they are, they, they are bad. <laughs> so they have to win this game. I, I don't want to put the must-win stamp on it because it's still early in the season, but this feels about as much of a must-win as you can get for a early season game. So we'll, we'll I'll do a little look around the NFC South because, you know, it's relevant. You know, it's big. Division actually looks really awesome. Better than I thought. Um, Tampa Bay's, like I said, the best team in football probably. Carolina, who's playing tonight on Thursday Night Football. Carolina's uh, 2-0 as of right now. They looked, The defense looked really good. They played the Saints, and the Saints, you know, they looked awesome week one. The Panthers kind of demolished the Saints. Not the score-wise. It was 26-7, but... They just looked like a straight-up better football team on both sides of the ball. And Sam Darnold's playing really good. They're not putting him in spots where he has to make the plays. He has to make the right like reads, but he doesn't have to make big chunk plays, you know? So that's really going good for them. And New Orleans, I mean, they kind of came down to earth last week. It'll be interesting to see if they can continue to be a good team on offense, but they did not look like that last week, so... So yeah, that's kind of the NFL. That's kind of the football way to end this. You know, we're we're going along or still early in the season, but you know, we're kind of figuring out how teams are. You're kind of figuring out who's the players, who's the frauds. But you know, one thing's one thing's for sure: Atlanta has to be. They have to win this week to not be absolute dumpster garbage. So that's. Last words on that. We'll transition here over to the Braves. Okay, transitioning on over to the Braves now. Um, the Braves have been something of a mess the past week, you know. It's been very on and off, you know. They struggled early against the Giants and couldn't break through for a win. And the Rockies, they couldn't really break through for a win. But then they, you know, went up. Won the last game against the Giants, went straight into the Diamondback series, and they won three out of four. You know they lost today, and the wheels fell off. They were winning it four to one. You know they allow a couple home runs. Jacob Webb doesn't look fantastic. He's pitching a couple days in a row. You know it's it is what it is. They ran into a bad inning late into the game and couldn't really do anything to get out of it. And Adam Duvall also got hurt to the extent we don't know, but. Didn't look great. Hopefully he's alright. You know, we'll get the news about him, I guess, soon. But, you know, Braves kind of, they they were pressured by the Phillies there for a little second. It was a one-game lead by one point at one point. But the Braves extend the lead a little bit. And they really have to root for the teams that are beaten or playing against the Phillies right now and win their games. You know, they go to San Diego, I believe, to take on the Padres, who were absolutely falling apart so you have to go take care of business there they um a couple things have been awesome to see from the braves and that's been adam duvall eddie rosario and or or you know they have been godsends from the trade deadline they've been 
having great offensive games. Eddie Rosario hit for the cycle. <laughs> that was really random and awesome to see. Um, Austin Riley hit 30 home runs. Big milestone for him. His first 30 home run season and his basically first full year of action. He has been the MVP of the Braves. Should be, you know, top three MVP for the NL, but he won't get the you know talk about because he's not that big of a player. Um, Ozzy, he hit his 30th home run, and so those are th- three players in the infield, including Freddie Freeman, that have hit 30 home runs. That's absolutely unbelievable and they could make it four if Dansby decides to come out of his bad mode you know Dansby Swanson's been a notoriously streaky player and he's in a bad streak right now so he's been um really on and off he he's gotten a little bit better these past couple games but you know still hasn't been you know the consistent shortstop you hope to see but he's four home runs away from 30 and so if he hits it that's an entire offseason or um infield that's hit 30 home runs, and that would be an absolutely unbelievable thing. So they've been really good. And, you know, the pitching has been very confusing, I guess to say the least. You know, Luke Jackson's been elite, but then you got Will Smith, who blew game in San Fran, and you have Richard Rodriguez, who's kind of coming back down to earth from when he first came over. But Tyler Matzik's pitching good. A.J. Minter's pitching good. You know, there are players that are pitching really, really good, and then the guys that are kind of feel like a liability right now when they come into the game. So, like I said, you gotta. The Phillies have the easiest schedule in the league. The Braves have the, the fourth e- easiest, I believe, like strength of schedule wise. So, you have to kind of hope that the Phillies lose to these bad teams. You can kind of wrap up the division here. I think the magic number's at 10. So it's still a little bit a ways away, and they still have like 20 games left, but it's very doable, and I think they have a good shot at winning the division. I don't, I don't know if they'll win in the playoffs or anything. I don't know what the forecast could be for that, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how they do. So, not a whole lot of news on the Braves. They, like I said, travel to San Diego, and then I think they come back home and finish out the season. So we'll see how that goes. And yeah. So I'll do a little thing on the Hawks. You know, like I said, their training camp's coming. I keep saying training camp is coming up soon, but it is coming. I don't know when. They did, did a little minor moves for training camp. They signed former second overall pick, Jaleel Okafor. He's a center. He's not very good at anything besides scoring. Like, he, he literally is bad at defense. He's huge. He's bad at defense. Not very good at rebounding, and he can't really shoot. So, yeah. Uh, they signed Timothy Luau Kabaru, I believe, to a training camp deal as well. So, he's a wing. I don't think he'll make the roster, but he'll get a look, you know. And uh, it was Trey Young's 23rd birthday. So, happy birthday to Trey Young. You know, he releases a signature shoe on his birthday, and it sold out in four hours. So that was really awesome to see. Trey Young, you know, slowly but surely coming in at Atlanta Icon. You know, he's been huge. He's a great personality. Awesome to see it. You know, awesome to have him in our city, you know. It's really great to see Trey Young shine on a big stage like that. 
So we'll finish up the show here with our typical MMA minute, and I will preface it now. It will not be a minute. It will be a decent little chunk here. We got, finally, we finally on the show have a main UFC card coming up. UFC 266. Finally here. Been waiting since the show started for a UFC card, and this is a pretty good one. You know, we got Volkanovski versus Ortega. Who were, who were the ultimate fighter coaches. They fight for the featherweight title. We have Valentina Shvenko versus Lauren Murphy for the, I believe it's strawweight um, women's title. We have Robbie Lawler fighting Nick Diaz for the second time after 17 years since their first fight. We have Curtis Blades versus Rosen, Gyro Rosen, ah, sorry, this guy's name. Gyro Rosenstruck, who they're top, I believe top like seventh ranked heavyweights. Got Dan Hooker versus um, Hack Parast, who's been he's been trying to come over from I believe Germany. He's been trying to fight his way through visas and all this different stuff, but he finally makes it. We have Marlon Moraz versus Marab Divashili. You know it's it's. It's a card full of really solid fights, you know. Even from the prelims on, we should have a really good fight night. Really good night of fights. You know, Saturday night, it'll be going, it'll be moving. You know, main card starts at, you know, uh, main card starts at 10 o'clock. It should run probably till around midnight or 1 o'clock, depending on how fast the fights go. But, you know, I'm really, really, really excited for it. I really am, you know. I... It's been, it feels like a, it's been a long time since the last card, it has been, it's been since the beginning of August, we've been going weeks without a main UFC card, and it's, it's felt like it, you know, so I'll kind of go from reverse order, I'll, uh, Marlon Moraz versus Marab, I think I'll take Marab there, because more, Marlon's coming off a couple tough losses, you know, Marab's been, Winning fights against good opponents, you know. I I like him in that fight. I like Dan Hooker to bounce back. Although this kid is fighting, he's fighting after his mom passed away, and you know it's very admirable. And you know, gotta give props to the guy. I don't think it's his time. Dan Hooker is coming off of a couple of tough losses. I think Dan Hooker bounces back here. Now Curtis Blades versus Rosenstruck. They're both big names. Not, not big names, but, you know, names that are recognizable in the heavyweight division that have been kind of fighting against title contenders. And this fight, I mean, Curtis Blades, the thing about Curtis Blades is he was winning against Derek Lewis, who just fought for the interim title. Curtis Blades was winning that fight fairly easily. But Derek Lewis did Derek Lewis things, hit him with one monster punch and knocked him out, so... And Rosenstruck comes off of a he comes off of a win, but you know not an impressive one, and he's been taking a little bit of heat, you know, losing some tough fights. But I think Curtis Blades comes back, has a good fight. I think he wins. I don't know if he wins by like a knockout, but I could see him winning by decision. And I think the most interesting fight of the night is Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz hasn't fought in the UFC in six years. He's Nate Diaz's brother. You know, the Stockton boys, two, 209, 
from the West Coast gangsters, as they say. Nick Diaz beat Robbie Lawler in the first matchup. <laughs> they both had... Robbie Lawler had a lot of hair. And let me just say, Robbie Lawler has not had hair in a, a long time. So, yeah, it's been 17 years. That's an unreal, unreal sound. They were both, like, in their early 20s. Now they're in their later 30s. Their careers are kind of... They're not their end, but they're reaching that territory. But, you know, Nate Diaz thinks he should be fighting Usman for the title. The welterweight title. And, you know, he's he's been known to do some extracurricular drugs. I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing something during that, but... Whatever, you know, Nick Diaz thinks what he is going to think. That's just kind of how he's wired. That's just how he's built. So, Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler. I think that Ruthless Robbie Lawler, the former champ, former welterweight champ, I think that he gets the win in this fight by a decision. Because I think he's developed a better chin than when he, he fought Nick Diaz a couple weeks ago. You know, I think Nick or weeks ago, a couple years, or years and years ago. I think Nick Diaz is a little bit older. I mean, Nick Diaz will be, I think it will be a show. I think that'll be a fun, fun show of a fight. I'm super excited to, you know, check out that one and see how it goes. So, but I got Robbie Lawler winning that fight. I think he comes back to the UFC with a win there. Um, Shvenko versus Murphy. Um, Murphy, I believe, is a... <laughs> I believe she's like plus three or she's like plus eleven hundred, which is which remember it's a title fight. This is a title fight. This is supposed to be a top tier contender against the champ here. So that if that tells you anything how dominant Shrenko's been, I think she's gonna continue her dominance. I really do. She is a monster. They were talking about her last opponent as being a wrestler. Like a good jiu-jitsu wrestler. And she got out-wrestled very, very easily by Shvenko. So, I think she's just built different. I got her winning that. Continuing her title defense. And, so yeah. And the main event. The main event. Alex Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega for the featherweight title. Now, some would say Volkanovski doesn't deserve to be there because he should have lost to Max Holloway in their last fight. I'm one of those people. But it's just because I love Max Holloway. I didn't see the fight. I People were saying that it still should have been Max Holloway, like unbiased people. But, you know, champ is the champ. He's going to get a decision if he can. So I think Volkanovski will be... A, I think he's a worthy champ, but I think he has some flaws, and I think they could be stuffed out by Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega has fought for a title before against Max Holloway, and he lost that one, but he comes back. Just kind of worked his way back after being the Korean zombie, and, you know, I think he has a good chance at winning this fight, and if I had to pick one, I think Ortega's going to win this fight by submission. I I think he finds a way to get Volkanovski slipping, and I think he's coming to this with a little chip on his shoulder, and I don't think it really... Honestly, I won't say this title fight doesn't matter 
because I think whoever wins Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez, which is like slated for November, whoever wins that fight, I think, will win the title of featherweight. But for the time being, I think Brian Ortega, I think he sneaks out Volkanovski and gets the win here. If, if Ortega doesn't win, I think Volkanovski will win it off decision. But I think Brian Ortega has a decent shot here. And so, I'm looking forward to the card. It, Like I said, it should be a really good card from start to finish. Uh, it should be on like ESPN or ESPN2. The prelims will be up until the main card, so I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, it won't be the best fights that you'll ever see, but, you know, it, I love it. So, I'm so excited. I can't wait. So I think that'll wrap it up. I think this last, like I said, this UFC card will be the thing that we wrap up with here. You know, be on the lookout for next week's episode. I don't know. I've kind of, I'm dropping them weekly. Obviously, I don't know when in the week, but you know, obviously it'll be after the Atlanta Giants game and Georgia Vandy game. So we'll see, see what goes on, and another week goes by, and make sure to go. Check out all my different works, you know, Backfield Boys, like I said earlier, LK Sports Talk. I plan on writing a little preview for this week of the NFL slate. So make sure to go check out. Make sure to go share with your friends. Do all the, you know, fun stuff that comes with the, you know, showing it to everyone that you know. And I, like I said, I'd love to grow this more and get more people listening. And I really do appreciate it. And, you know, listening to me talk about sports for, 40 minutes can't be can't be the most exciting but you're spending 40 minutes doing it and I really do appreciate it if you get to this point so thank you once again everyone and make sure to be safe do your thing